Section twenty five of a book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Opie, Part three. After her mother's death, Amelia Alderson, who was barely fifteen at the time, began to take her place in society. She kept her father's house, received his friends, made his home bright with her presence. The lawyers came round in due season. Sir James Mackintosh came. The house was full of life, of talk, of music, and poetry, and prejudice. Harriet Martineau, in her memoir of Mrs. Opie, gives a delightful and humorous account of the Norwich of that day, rivaling Litchfield in its literary coterie, only with less sentimentality and some additional peculiarities of its own. One can almost see the Tory gentlemen as miss martineau describes them setting a watch upon the cathedral lest the dissenters should burn it as a beacon for bony whereas good bishop bathurst with more faith in human nature goes on resolutely touching his hat to the leading nonconformists the french taught in schools says miss martineau was found to be unintelligible when the peace at length arrived taught as it was by an aged powdered monsieur and an elderly flowered madame who had taught their pupils norfolk pronunciation but it was beginning to be known she continues that there was such a language as german and in due time there was a young man who had actually been in germany and was translating nathan the wise when william taylor became eminent as almost the only german scholar in england old norwich was very proud and grew to say the truth excessively conceited she was and she might be proud of her sayers she boasted of her intellectual supper parties and finally called herself the athens of england in this wholesome cheerful athens blown by the invigorating northern breezes little amelia bloomed and developed into a lovely and happy girl she was fortunate indeed in her friends one near at hand must have been an invaluable adviser for a motherless impressionable girl mrs john taylor was so loved that she is still remembered mrs barbold prized and valued her affection beyond all others i know the value of your letters says sir james mackintosh writing from bombay they rouse my mind on subjects which interest us in common children literature and life i ought to be made permanently better by contemplating a mind like yours and he still has mrs taylor in his mind when he concludes with a little disquisition on the contrast between the barren sensibility the indolent folly of some the useful kindness of others the industrious benevolence which requires a vigorous understanding and a decisive character some of mrs opie's family have shown me a photograph of her in her quaker dress in old age dim and changed and sunken from which it is very difficult to realize all the brightness and life and animation which must have belonged to the earlier part of her life the delightful portrait of her engraved in the mirror shows the animated beaming countenance the soft expressive eyes the abundant auburn waves of hair of which we read the picture is more like some charming allegorical being than a real live young lady some belinda of the rape of the lock and one would have as soon expected belinda to turn quakeress music poetry dancing elves graces and flirtations cupids seem to attend her steps 
she delights in admiration friendship companionship and gaiety and yet with it all we realize a warm-hearted sincerity an appreciation of good and high-minded things a truth of feeling passing out of the realms of fancy altogether into one of the best realities of life she had a thousand links with life she was musical artistic she was literary she had a certain amount of social influence she had a voice a harp a charming person mind and manner admiring monarchs in later days applauded her performance devoted subjects were her friends and correspondents and her sphere in due time extended beyond the approving norwich athenian coterie of old friends who had known her from her childhood to london itself where she seems to have been made welcome by many and to have captivated more than her share of victims in some letters of hers written to mrs taylor and quoted by her biographer we get glimpses of some of these early experiences the bright and happy excitable girl comes up from norwich to london to be made more happy still and more satisfied with the delight of life as it unfolds besides her fancy for lawyers literary people had a great attraction for amelia and godwin seems to have played an important part in her earlier experience a saying of mrs inchbald's is quoted by her on her return home as to the report of the world being that mr holcroft was in love with mrs inchbald mrs inchbald with mr godwin mr godwin with miss alderson and miss alderson with mr holcroft the following account of Somerstown and a philosopher's costume in those days is written to her father in seventeen ninety four after a most delightful ride through some of the richest country i ever beheld we arrived about one o'clock at the philosopher's house we found him with his hair bien poudre and in a pair of new sharp-toed red morocco slippers not to mention his green coat and crimson under waistcoat from godwin's by the city they come to marlborough street and find mrs siddons nursing her little baby and as handsome and charming as ever they see charles kemble there and they wind up their day by calling on mrs inchbald in her pleasant lodgings with two hundred pounds just come in from sheridan for a farce of sixty pages godwin's attentions seem to have amused and pleased the fair mary amelia who is not a little proud of her arch influence over various rugged and apparently inaccessible persons mrs inchbald seems to have been as jealous of miss alderson at the time as she afterwards was of mary wollstonecraft will you give me nothing to keep for your sake says godwin parting from amelia not even your slipper i had it once in my possession this was true adds miss amelia my shoe had come off and he picked it up and put it in his pocket elsewhere she tells her friend mrs taylor that mr holcroft would like to come forward but that he had no chance that some one person had a chance and a very good one is plain enough from the context of a letter but there is nothing in mrs opie's life to show why fate was contrary in this while yielding so bountiful a share of all other good things to the happy country girl among other people she seems to have charmed various french refugees one of whom was the duc d'aiguillon come over to england with some seven thousand others waiting here for happier times and hiding their sorrows among our friendly mists 
godwin was married when miss alderson revisited her london friends and admirers in seventeen ninety seven an eventful visit when she met opie for the first time the account of their first meeting is amusingly given in miss brightwell's memoirs it was at an evening party some of those present were eagerly expecting the arrival of miss alderson but the evening was wearing away and still she did not appear at length the door was flung open and she entered bright and smiling dressed in a robe of blue her neck and arms bare and on her head a small bonnet placed in somewhat coquettish style sideways and surmounted by a plume of three white feathers her beautiful hair hung in waving tresses over her shoulders her face was kindling with pleasure at the sight of her old friends and her whole appearance was animated and glowing at the time she came in mr opie was sitting on a sofa beside mr f who had been saying from time to time amelia is coming amelia will surely come why is she not here and whose eyes were turned in her direction he was interrupted by his companion eagerly exclaiming who is that who is that and hastily rising opie pressed forward to be introduced to the fair object whose sudden appearance had so impressed him with all her love of excitement of change of variety one cannot but feel as i have said that there was also in amelia alderson's cheerful life a vein of deep and very serious feeling and the bracing influence of the upright and high-minded people among whom she had been brought up did not count for nothing in her nature she could show her genuine respect for what was generous and good and true even though she did not always find strength to carry out the dream of an excitable and warm-hearted nature End of section 25